Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is Monday of the 29th week in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. To prepare ourselves, let us acknowledge our sins. I confess to Almighty God and and to you, my brothers and sisters, that that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. Almighty ever-living God, grant that we may always conform our will to yours and serve your majesty in sincerity of heart through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians. You were dead through the crimes and the sins in which you used to live, when you were following the way of this world, obeying the ruler who governs the air, the spirit who is at work in the rebellious. We all were among them too in the past, living sensual lives, ruled entirely by our own physical desires and our own ideas so that by nature we were as much under God's anger as the rest of the world. But God loved us with so much love that he was generous with his mercy. When we were dead through our sins, he brought us to life with Christ. It is through grace that you have been saved and raised us up with him and gave us a place with him in heaven, in Christ Jesus. This was to show for all ages to come, through his goodness towards us in Christ Jesus, how infinitely rich he is in grace. Because it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, not by anything of your own, but by a gift from God, not by anything that you have done, so that nobody can claim the credit. We are God's work of art, created in Christ Jesus, to live the good life, as from the beginning he had meant us to live it. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord made us, we belong to him. The Lord made us, we belong to him. Cry out with joy to the Lord, all the earth. 
Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him, singing for joy. The Lord made us, we belong to him. Know that he, the Lord, is God. He made us, we belong to him. We are his people, the sheep of his flock. The Lord made us, we belong to him. Go within his gates, giving thanks. Enter his courts with songs of praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. The Lord made us, we belong to him. Indeed, how good is the Lord. Eternal, his merciful love. He is faithful from age to age. The Lord made us, we belong to him. Alleluia, alleluia. Happy the poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. A man in the crowd said to Jesus, Master, tell my brother to give me a share of our inheritance. My friend, he replied, who appointed me your judge or the arbitrator of your claims? Then he said to them, Watch, and be on your guard against avarice of any kind. For a man's life is not made secure by what he owns, even when he has more than he needs. Then he told them a parable. There was once a rich man who, having had a good harvest from his land, thought to himself, What am I to do? I've not enough room to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I will do. I will pull down my barns and build bigger ones, and store all my grain and my goods in them. And I will say to my soul, My soul, you have plenty of good things laid for many years to come. Take things easy. Eat. Drink. Have a good time. But God said to him, Fool! This very night the demand will be made for your soul. And this hoard of yours, whose will it be then? So it is, when a man stores up treasure for himself, in place of making himself rich in the sight of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so we're back to the weekday cycle of readings. And thank goodness we finished those series of readings where Jesus is sticking it to the Pharisees because, um, let's face it, they're a bit uncomfortable. Um, there are a number of people, actually, who, who sort of got in contact with me and said, ooh, yeah, that one stung. <laughs> and um, uh, I felt it too. I was quite edified, though, because those who did get in contact with me said that uh, those Gospels were challenging for them personally. Um, because sometimes you can have the experience that, you know, you hear a difficult Gospel and one that, uh, you know, is a little bit uncomfortable. And then the first reaction is, I know who really needs to hear that. <laughs> and it's someone else. It really addresses someone else's shortcomings. And the irony is that that's the kind of thing that a Pharisee would say, which probably means that that's the reason why we need to hear it ourselves. But it seems to be that that's exactly what's going on in the gospel today. That this man comes up to Jesus and says, Oi, you need to preach this to my brother. 
He's being greedy with the inheritance and he's not sharing it with me. Well, obviously, the Lord doesn't really want to get dragged into this family dispute. But his response is kind of surprising. He says, my friend, who appointed me your judge or the mediator of your claims? Now, it's surprising because, you know, the Lord Jesus, yeah, he is the judge. We say so in the creed. He'll come to judge the living and the dead. And we acknowledge that he is, in fact, the mediator between God and man because he's the son of the father. So there is a delightful little moment of irony here. Who appointed me the judge and mediator of your claim? Um, well, well, God kind of did. But the judgment that the Lord offers in this moment isn't simply in the affair between this man and his brother. He now sets about teaching about greed. And here we see the kind of judge that Jesus is. A judge not of the superficial affairs between people, but a judge of the heart. And it turns out that the Lord's concern here is not for the brother who refuses to share the inheritance, but for this guy. This sermon's not about anyone else except you. So the man asks Jesus to judge a dispute over property, but instead the Lord speaks to his heart. And with subtlety, Christ shifts the priority away from the question of what the man has in terms of possessions and turns towards who this man is in terms of virtue. So, I mean, if we were to paraphrase Jesus, it might run something like this. My friend, don't look to your wallet and get angry that something of value is missing. Look to your heart to see if there is something of true value that's missing. So, Jesus, the judge, corrects the priority of being over having. And this ought to serve as something as a corrective for us, like especially in our prayer. In our petitions to Jesus, we might be tempted to walk up to him and try to put words in his mouth. Lord, make it such that I receive what is owed to me and that I get what I really deserve. Um, now, that could be in terms of stuff, but it could also be in terms of recognition or credit. It could be in terms of honour. There are a whole bunch of ways in which we feel that we're owed and that we're not getting what we deserve. But it might well be that the Lord asks us to go beyond the superficiality of our requests to look more deeply at our hearts so that our priority might not be having more wealth or power or respect which comes from the outside, but instead that we might be enriched in the heart through virtue to be more inside. And so, you know, when we look at the parable, which Jesus, you know, gives as a response to this question, it speaks of a wealthy man who comes upon a big win and becomes even wealthier. He has an abundant harvest, and now he looks to build new barns in order to safeguard this newfound wealth. He's obviously not just trying to get by or to make ends meet. There's an excess which he's looking to cling to. And when all is ready, he says to himself, my soul, you've got plenty of good things laid by for many years to come. Take things easy, eat, drink, have a good time. Now it's here that the problem comes forward. He's bought into the idea that his wealth is sufficient to give him what he wants. Wealth makes it possible for him to relax, to enjoy the things of life, eat, drink and be merry. And we all know where the parable goes from here. God calls them out a fool. Because all the efforts he went to will come to nothing. 
because the demand will be made for his life, and he'll have to leave his harvest in his barn. And he'll have to leave it to someone who didn't earn it. So knowing how this parable ends, when we hear this man say to himself, take things easy, eat, drink, have a good time, we tend to think that these are the kinds of famous last words that tempt fate and prove that this man really is a fool. But it's here that we probably need to be a little honest with ourselves. We can happily acknowledge that this man is a fool because we know how the story works out for him, but perhaps his words are actually the practical principle by which we actually live our own story. That we have a slightly different ending and that we will be able to eat, drink and take things easy. This is the thing. It's not the way that his life turns out that makes him a fool. It's his attitude that makes him the fool. So here it prompts a question. How do I actually live? In my mind, I may well believe that being is more important than having and that it's important to store up treasure in heaven where it can't be taken from me. But though that may be my sincere opinion, what actually plays out in my life? The foolishness of the man in the parable comes from the fact that he sought to find security and happiness in his possessions. It wasn't so much that he died prematurely. He was a fool when he was alive, not when he was dead. Odds are, we probably wouldn't say it aloud, or hold it formally as an opinion. But is this actually the practical principle around which our lives are organised? Yes, you know, we all need to work and plan for our future. We all need to be financially responsible. But has my wealth, my reputation, my power and influence, has that become the practical centre of my life and the implicit goal of what I do? If so, I'm as foolish as the man in the parable, whether I live a hundred years or not. Because the demand will be made for my life and all these things, they ultimately come to nothing. That blood, sweat and tears, it all ends up in the grave. So, says Jesus, store up treasure for yourselves in heaven. So going back to the gospel text, we remember that the parable was provoked by the question of a man in the crowd who wants Jesus to demand that his brother cut him in on the inheritance. But Jesus doesn't enter into the matter of trying to help this man increase his wealth. Instead, he poses the question of the heart and its captivity to greed. And maybe this question is also being posed to us. What do I truly believe will make me happy? and therefore becomes the ultimate principle around which I organise my life. And it's found not so much in what I say, but in what I do. Am I telling God that I trust him, while actually at the same time building bigger barns? At the Saviour's command, and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who who art in in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, 
we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Let us welcome Christ into our hearts with an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. And we finish by praying Pope Francis's prayer to Mary during the coronavirus pandemic. O Mary, you shine continuously on our journey as a sign of salvation and hope. We entrust ourselves to you, health of the sick. At the foot of the cross, you participated in Jesus' pain with steadfast faith. You, salvation of the Roman people, know what we need. We are certain that you will provide, so that as you did in Cana of Galilee, joy and feasting might return after this moment of trial. Help us, Mother of Divine Love, to conform ourselves to the Father's will and to do what Jesus tells us. He who took our sufferings upon himself and bore our sorrows to bring us through the cross to the joy of the resurrection. Amen. We seek refuge under your protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our pleas, we who are put to the test, and deliver us from every danger, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.